Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. Uh, This is a monthly solutions-oriented talk radio show. Each month, we dedicate about 30 minutes to explore contemporary issues and solutions in education leadership, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Uh, This week, uh, we are doing a uh, special series that is aimed at looking at how educators around the globe and particularly in the United States are handling uh, school and education in a K-12 setting uh, amidst this uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And so today's show uh, is actually global in focus. We have a number of my colleagues uh, from from around the world. I'd like to welcome them at this time. We have uh, Patrick calling from Paris. We have Josh from Bucharest. We have Paolo uh, and Lisa and and Lizaja uh, from Rio. We have um, we have Ben from Taiwan, and we have Tian from South Africa. So welcome everyone uh, to the to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And and so because we only have 30 minutes, I think it would be a great idea just to jump right in. Um, We're hearing so much uh, on the news, and and sometimes it's hard to discern what's real and not, not real. And so today I thought we would hear from educators uh, from around the world to see how other people are um, handling the the task of educating young people in the middle of this crisis. So I'd like to start. Um, I know, Ben, you're in uh, Kaohsiung, Taiwan. Um, you want to start by telling us what, what's happening there, what, what the status of things are. I know you had a special set of circumstances you were out of school came back and now you're back out again so talk to us a little bit about what's happening in Taiwan sure yeah overall we've been very fortunate here in Taiwan with the um, with the circumstances and the situation you know being just about 70 miles off the coast of, of China we were initially predicted to be you know one of the world's hot spots uh, so in mid-January, the, both the government and our school really started preparing for um, what could become a, a challenge. But frankly, we've been very, very fortunate that uh, there were a lot of lessons that Taiwan learned during SARS in 2003, and they, they pretty quickly put those to the um, put those right into use. So with the with things heating up over the Lunar New Year, we made a decision to go fully digital. And so we did that. We, we were actually the first school in Taiwan to go full digital on January 30th. And um, that was what was scheduled to be the end of our Lunar New Year break. The, the CDC here in Taiwan recommended that all schools delay their start by two weeks. And so uh, we brought our students back to campus on February 13th. 
and we're moving forward with, with operations as normal. On February 25th, Taiwan reopened its local schools, and that was based on delaying their planned start date of February 11th by two weeks. So schools have been in session, um, and the, the CDC here has been tracking cases very well. What has happened is has so many universities in the United States and Europe have closed and, and gone to online instruction and told their foreign students to, to go home, we've had a large influx of, of our graduates coming back from places like New York and Los Angeles and you know Spain and Italy. And uh, when we realized the extent of family members within our school community that had um, you know, recently returned relatives who were in quarantine at home, we just made the decision that we have to go right back to digital instruction as, as soon as possible. And so we did on Friday last week. And yesterday would have been the last day before we went to parent-teacher conferences and professional development and spring break. So we went digital. And at the moment, we're hoping to come back to class on April 6th. Local schools are currently open. But again, as we've seen uh, so many cases coming back into Taiwan, our numbers have been going up. So we're, we're watching that very closely, but we're thankful. Uh, no, no cases in our community. Island-wide, there's still only 235 cases, only two deaths, um, which, of course, every you know we want that to be zero. But uh, we're feeling very fortunate in, in comparison. Sure. Um, and it's, um, it's just blows my mind that you're saying that schools, some of the schools are open because it seems such a distant future for us uh, that schools in some states have said that they're uh, at the earliest going to start back again on May 15th. But that's just um, hoping that it will start back on May 15th. And so um, I, I'm sure you're glad to hear that it, that schools are at least um, going on that end. Uh, I'd like to jump to Patrick um, in Paris. I know France shares a southern border with northern Italy, and we've heard a lot in the news about Italy. And um, I know, Patrick, you mentioned to me in correspondence that uh, there were some challenges with technology at some point. Uh, but I'd love to hear you uh, share a little bit about um, what's happening, at least in where you are in France, understanding that it's a, um, uh, it's a, there's a, a widespread of activities going on, but at least where you are, right. uh, how, how things okay. are going. Okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, things are a little bit different um, in Europe, and I think, you know, um, People didn't uh, necessarily take the warnings as seriously as they should have. Um, uh, I think, you know, because of the kind of the culture in France, you know, it's a, it's a very social culture. There's a lot of social contact. It's, it's almost in the DNA of, of Europe and particularly in France and, and Italy and Spain, which makes, you know, the, these countries very prone to having this virus spread. So um, what happened in, in Paris, um, they decided to, um, they announced on um, March 13th, uh, appropriately Friday the 13th, that they were closing all schools um, 
on the March 16th. So right now we're all of the schools are shut down for at least uh, four weeks. And what they were trying to do is, you know, advise people to stay home, but the cafes and restaurants were open. And then there was still too much social mingling happening, so the government, like within the next day, closed all of the the um, restaurants and cafes. And then on that Sunday, everyone decided to go to the parks and the <laughs> the um, the canals to hang out. So. Now we're on like a, a total lockdown, so you actually need a pass when you leave your house. There's a pass that's been issued by the government that you um, now print out and you either check going to the grocery, uh, dealing with a health emergency, uh, going to the pharmacy, or you know checking on you have a uh, senior care, that you're a caretaker. So, and, and fresh air, you can go out for fresh air. So. We're really limited in our movement. Uh, I haven't seen aggressive enforcement of it, but I think maybe that's particularly in my neighborhood. I've heard other areas that uh, it's been more of an issue. So as it relates to the the um, kind of the virtual learning situation, um, we are the parents of an eight-year-old. Um, we only have one child, and she's in second grade. So the impact for us hasn't been dramatic. Um, as if you know, if she was in lycée, which is the equivalent of high school, and had um, would have various teachers. So what we've been seeing is um, we're basically having one hour day of um, online instruction and quite a bit of homework. So <laughs> we're seeing how much the teachers really work with them because they really only get that one hour of class time. But then we have a Google Doc um, uh, centralized platform for the parents in the class to download all of the homework assignments, and then the kids will, you know, we correct them. They, they've given us a key, so we're not totally in the dark. dark. And because my daughter goes to a bilingual school, she has, um, it's three days a week, She's doing uh, her subjects in French, and then two two of the sessions a week are done in English. Um, my wife is on the board of uh, the school, so I, she's you know I've heard about other concerns, you know, because they're you know um, some of the students as you um, get into higher learning, they take a third language, so you know there's studying Mandarin and. Really, at that point, your parents really can't help you with that work. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, about yeah. Their, their bandwidth. So um, we're, you know, we're working through it. Like I said, you know, um, we have friends that are trying to juggle this with three children and, you know, trying to coordinate between computer time with, you know, the kids and logging on. And, you know, sometimes there's technology issues, you know, some user error, and then sometimes it's um, the the system's overloaded. But um, so far, you know, we're we're kind of working through it, and you know, the school is being responsive to the concerns of the parents. So um, we're hoping that this only lasts the four weeks. But you know, they're also working on a contingency plan that if um, this goes for another four weeks, you know, what happens. Uh, it's less of an issue for us, but it's more of an issue for the older kids who are taking the back, which is like their 
high school exam um, mm-hmm. to graduate. Sure, sure. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. That's a very different picture to have to have a um, a pass to go out and and do your what we what we previously considered ordinary chores, right? Right, um, exactly. that's, that's a very different way of thinking about it. And I, I was actually wondering how the infrastructure was holding up. And so I'm going to switch and jump to my colleagues in Rio. Um, I have, I know I have a few people from Rio on, um, and, um, and I, I, I guess I'll jump. Uh, Lisa, I know you are on the line. Uh, I just read yeah. in Globo last night that, um, your president has uh, said that you're going to be back up and open once the, the stores and and all the, the economy functioning again almost immediately. I don't know if that includes the schools, but give us a picture, paint a picture for what's happening in Rio right now. Yeah, right now the president wants us to reopen the stores and the schools, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Right, because um, uh, let, let me tell you what's been going on. <laughs> uh, on March 13th, the, our governor, uh, the governor of Rio, he, he ordered the closure of all public and private schools. Right, and right after closing the the schools, the governor ordered to close the the restaurants, the bars, and the malls, because the same thing that was happening in, in Paris was happening here, too. There was a lot of social mingling, right? People going to the beach instead, instead of staying yes. home. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so uh, uh, they, they decided to, to make sure everybody was home. And then uh, the only establishments that are open now are supermarkets and uh, green grocers, gas stations. And we're, we have a big fight between our governor and the president, right? The, the governor does, uh, didn't want the airports to be open anymore. Uh, he didn't want us to receive uh, People coming from Europe, for example, but the president said no to this. He said, no, we're not closing the airports. So there's this big fight between them. <laughs> and uh, in in our boarding school in Rio, we, we work at a boarding school. We have about 480 students. And uh, on April 13th, when the governor told us to uh, close the school, we, we had about five days to take our students back home, right? And wow. uh, so, yeah, we have five days. They had to buy tickets to go back home because uh, it's a boarding school in Rio, but we have students from all over the country, right? And so now we have two weeks to think of the changes that we need to make, how we're going to adapt because in in my case I, I've never worked with distance teaching, you know, so it's gonna be mm-hmm. something new for, for me and for my, my colleagues as well. And uh last week when we were taking our students back home, some of us still had to work but um most of not not most, but some of our employees in like serious health conditions like with diabetes and high blood pr- with high blood pressure, for example, they, they were told to stay home, 
right? And now, at this moment, everybody's working from home, in home office. Wow. Wow. Thank you and for sharing that. And we're trying that. to keep in touch with our teams daily, right, making sure everybody is well physically, mentally, mm-hmm. right? And we're mm-hmm. also calling some of our students to make sure they're fine. And that's it. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, thank you for sharing that. And I've, I've, as you know, I've visited uh, um, where you are on several occasions over the years, and I know that there's that that ha- the, the in a from a cultural perspective it is unheard of of people not to be socializing and getting together going to eat and going to the beach so i'm sure that's all that was really tough it's been really tough but particularly around the schools um that yeah. the the part of the real culture is to be mixing and, and having uh, interactions. So thank you for sharing. Uh, I'm going to jump to Tian, um, who is in South Africa. Um, Tian, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, just, um, just last week, I was talking to uh, some of my close friends in Limpopo province in South Africa, and they were saying that um, there were no confirmed cases and then suddenly I got a text yesterday that said uh, that there were confirmed cases and people were on lockdown. Um, and so um, initially I thought, wow, I, probably there will be places uh, spared this because of the there's not very much traffic in and out. But it seems even in a place like Limpopo, there are uh, there are people enough coming in where this is happening. I know you are in Pretoria. Uh, the country's capital. Uh, tell us a little bit about um, what's happening in schools in Pretoria. Yes, uh, thank you so much, Brian. Yeah, so um, <clears throat> you probably saw in the news that uh, the first case of corona was confirmed on the 5th of March. Um, what is the African in a cell went to uh, Italy. So uh, on the 15th of March, uh, South Africa had about 61 confirmed cases. So on that day, the, the president called a national state of disaster in terms of the South African Disaster Management Act. So he introduced um, uh, prevention measures. So the first of all is to limit contact, and it was a travel ban from high-risk countries. Uh, there were several visas ca- uh, cancelled. And land ports and seaports were closed. Just, uh, I think there's about 72 ports in South Africa. Um, 35 land ports were closed and two seaports were closed. Um, so on that day, you also called that the schools will close on 18th March, but they called it an extended re- uh, reset uh, just to ensure that they have time to assess the situation. And I also think... Um, it was a, a prevention measure put in place to, to strengthen the health response in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, so they, yeah, so, and um, what, what was quite fascinating is the, the tertiary institutions in South Africa quickly jumped, jumped in prevention measures, even if there weren't any restriction um, on them. But, for instance, they, they uh, cancelled all uh, contact sessions and, for instance, they deactivated the 
biometric systems uh, within the, the facilities. Um, so, yes, in my mind, currently the situation uh, the president on Monday evening announced a, a lockdown. Um, so, tomorrow at midnight. So oh, wow. There's, there's quite a lot of uncertainty within the country, if I uh, look at the media. And, yeah, there's a lot of questions from, from the general public and what impact it will have. And, and I think the, uh, one of the your basic services will, will be hardest hit, especially the education. Because mm-hmm. the, the questions that we can ask is, are we prepared and, and what we're going to do? I know the government has instructed schools to come up with uh, contingency plans, how they will um, recover and how will they make up for lost time. So the, the big question uh, in my mind is, <clears throat> with, so the, the whole thing is we must move to online learning. Uh, so, but, but my question is really is uh, is are the schools prepared for this to go virtual or online? Because access could be a challenge, um, and does everyone have the necessary devices? You understand. So, and other thing is, are parents also prepared uh, to to go this route? Uh, from a university perspective, I think, in my in my view, I think. Uh, postgraduate studies and uh, continuous research, we've got the on- online platforms in place. Um, and I think we've done very well over the, the past few years in that area. Um, from our university, we, for the uh, uh, last few years, we've introduced hybrid learning, uh, mm. where you have a certain amount of contact time and a portion that goes online. So I think uh, where we have to go over to online, I don't think it's a, it's a challenge. I think the, the biggest challenge will come with um, our, our colleges in the country, and this will impact on the under, undergrad and diploma uh, courses, uh, because uh, I'm, I don't think they, they'll prepare. So, yeah, so in, in view of this, I think the, the technology adaption um, in, in the education currently in the country is very slow. And uh, schools are now forced to re-look at options for teaching and learning. Sure, so I think sure. that the critical options, that the critical options at this, uh, or the elements at this stage is to ensure connectivity. And is there home and school-based technology that can speak to each other so that uh, learners can learn? And then it's a question of the content needs to be coordinated. And it's a progress um, monitoring system in place. Okay. So, so, yeah. far, uh, so to summarize that, I think um, it's very uncertain at this stage. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm going to circle back because I do want to hear a little bit more um, about the technology shift uh, because my experience um, in South Africa is a little different and I, I, I do want to hear a little more, but I'm going to shift over to um, Josh, who is in Bucharest in Romania. Uh, thank you for joining us, Josh. Um, we, we don't hear much about Romania on the news, at least not here in the U.S. I know it's a sizable country um, with a border on the Black Sea, 
Um, and um, sure. I know you've been in Bucharest for a bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about there and what your challenges are and um, what's actually happening right now. Sure. Thank you very much. Um, well, it's very similar in a lot of ways to the situation that Patrick described in Paris. Um, Romania is a member of the European Union, and so some of the steps have been quite similar. Um, there's been a stepped approach. The, the government has been quite proactive and quite cautious, which I think is a good thing. Um, we stopped meeting, uh, as did all schools in Romania, on the 11th of March, and we've gone digital. We started on the 13th doing digital learning. Um, we've adapted the school schedule, especially for the 6th to 10th graders, so they meet uh, in all their classes. We're using Zoom and we're using Google Classroom um, to communicate daily. The, the real concerns I think we're trying to deal with as educators are, are twofold. One of them is the, the socio-emotional piece. You know, a lot of kids are home. Uh, they're, they're stuck inside. Um, <clears throat> that can be challenging for all of us, as, as a couple of people have joked. We love our families, but sometimes it's nice to get out and do a little something different every once in a while. Um, so we are doing uh, our pastoral program, our advisory program daily, checking in with our advisees just to, to see how they're doing, and I think that's really important. The other piece that we're really trying to struggle with is the, the extrinsic piece. We had uh, seniors doing their international baccalaureate mock exams while this was all taking place. And so, you know, we're the American International School of Bucharest, and so the kids do the, the IB program. And, and it was just announced uh, this weekend on Sunday that those exams, those external exams in May, uh, are going to be canceled. So, you know, we've got seniors who are feeling in, in limbo, they don't know whether they're going to get to go to university or how they're going to earn their grades that they've been working for for two years. Right. You know, so we're trying to maintain that engagement uh, and that investment in the learning process. You know, sure, uh, we sure. want them to be resilient. We want them to, to see the payoff of their effort and their dedication. But that's definitely challenging for us right now. Right, right. And I'm, I'm sure, just as everyone, I, my heart goes out to those students as well. I mean, all of them, but especially the ones that are at the end of their studies and uh, with an, what, what I'm sure feels like an uncertain future. Uh, what is it sure. that uh, they have to look forward to? And, I'm, and, and to stay engaged, I'm sure, is difficult. I, I, um, I, I do want to go back to the issue of technology. I know I had, um, as I said earlier in the show, uh, Patrick and I had exchanged, and I know that there were some challenges in Paris. Um, I um, want to go back to my colleagues in, in Rio. Um, I know certainly there's much more um, access in terms of Wi-Fi in Rio over the years. Uh, certainly after the Olympics, it was a little more uh, available. Um, but I want to see, Lucilia, um, I know that you are at uh, Escola Seski as well, and I, I wanted to hear from you about the, the particular challenge you think might exist, uh, not just for your school, but if you could Tell us a little bit about the average public school and whether or not they are going to be able to make this, this shift and, and any plans you've heard about from, from more the public sector, even though you are a hybrid public school, uh, more about those schools, are they going to be able to meet the demands of, of bringing either distance learning or some kind of uh, online learning environment to those uh, students in Rio? 
Hi, this is Lucilia from SESC Education Department. It will be very hard for schools here, especially for public schools, because they don't have a, um, they don't have a way to 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 make it possible. They they are talking about maybe using a Google Classroom or other tools. But the, most of our students don't really have uh, um, computers and uh, good connection. So we, I don't know how they will really take care of this situation. It is very, very difficult time to, to pass on here, especially mm-hmm. in Rio de Janeiro. And, sure. um, and different, different of um, of Lisa that is from Sesc School. I'm not from school. I'm a member of Sesc Education Department. Sure. My team mm-hmm. goal is to support directors and teachers of Sesc schools all over the country. We have oh, more okay. than two hundred two hundred schools in twenty six states. So now all of our Schools are closed, and we are trying to guarantee our local partners feel supported and connected during this difficult time. And we are trying to do that by WhatsApp groups. We stay close with these people, provide guidance and suggestions to the schools directors and managers how to proceed with the students and parents. We also have a virtual platform, uh, and this platform that connects all of our 3,500 teachers, and we are using it to provide them resources that can help them to study during this difficult time. But we don't know when our schools will open, and so we are trying to keep closing. And uh, we also understand uh, the importance of guaranteeing the students continue learning. So we have a device that is quarantine period it should not be counted as academic calendar. Mm-hmm. We need to think how we can guarantee the students' right to learn. Mm-hmm. It was a great word. And uh, uh, we were trying... We are trying if I to, just to do. Jump in. I, I'm sorry, Lucida. I, I would like to ask maybe a question to uh, other educators around the world, because I'm sure um, they are facing the same problem that we are here in, in in Rio and in Brazil facing, which is how can we guarantee that our students are getting the education that they need when sometimes they have little or maybe no access to internet or even devices that connect mm-hmm. the Internet. And not only students, but also teachers in, in, in uh, some regions of the country, um, they may not have access to, to you know, Internet high speeds and, and, and so on. So I, I wonder what other colleagues around the world are doing about this, you know, where you know, the technicalities of it uh, don't really help. Yeah, Paulo, yeah, can uh, I can I, I can... say something? Mm-hmm. Go <laughs> yeah, ahead. Because uh, I I think the day before yesterday, the uh, Rio's uh, 
education secretary, he uh, he recorded a video, and he said that uh, because we would stop for 15 days, and then he said, no, it's going to take longer, so it's going to be probably two months. And uh, he said that he knew that most of our students didn't have access to the Internet, so they, they were preparing, like, booklets, trying to explain certain subjects and to provide students with exercises, and they were going to print these uh, subjects and send them to, to the students. Right. I don't know if that's going to happen, but that, that was a promise by, by our governor, right? So mm -hmm. let's see what's going to happen. Let's hope for right. the best. <laughs> well, you know, and, and that's a tall yeah, like when, when, when you, when you in, think uh, about how many people there are in how many students there are in Rio. And I, thank you for opening that question, Paulo, because that that was my concern combined with there are places like Rio um, I recall back during the time of the Olympics when um, their students were out also for a significant amount of time. And so they so if you think about over the course of their educational experience, that it was there were months that students didn't attend school during the Olympics. And then there now we are talking about another uh, set of months that they'll be out again during their educational uh, career. Um, but but that's that's one issue. But the other around resources, uh, how to not just the fact that they have computers and in some places and in most places they don't. And that's what I was referring to earlier about my experience in South Africa, uh, that most of the students would not in, in a K-12 setting would not have access to computers and that this would be would would greatly exacerbate the the gap between the have and the have nots um and so i i just throw that out there and and ask you to respond to that for sure in romania one of the things that we are seeing which i think is an interesting response from the government is uh they've partnered with the public television station tvr and they're doing this telesquala like like tv lessons or like lessons on tv just on free public television um, and they've got lessons Monday to Friday catering towards 8th to 12th graders uh, on various topics. So it, it, certainly it's not a full solution, but I think it's an interesting uh, attempt to, to get those lessons to kids who may not have Internet or may not have computers. Anyone else care to comment? Well, you know, that's, I'm, I'm glad that uh, you brought the subject up because something thinking about and realizing that you work in urban education. Um, it's an issue that we're not having to deal with because we're in a private school, so most parents have the means and access to technology, and also Paris has a, uh, a fairly robust um, uh, kind of Internet system, so we don't have the kind of infrastructure issue. But this is a concern, and this is even after we get through this, this is an ongoing concern for school districts around the world as, you know, uh, a lot of schools move towards um, accessing certain uh, materials online and even applying to universities. So this is definitely, uh, you know, I think it's going to make school districts think about this in a different way. 
um, that they haven't because, you know, you're right. If, if you don't have access to a computer or iPad, you know, your child may go without instruction. And I think what they're doing in um, uh, Bucharest is, is interesting, and, I'm, you know, I applaud them. Even though it may not be the perfect solution, it is taking the step to make sure that the students who don't have the means are still getting some educational value sure, every day. Sure, sure, sure. And so, Tian, in, in South Africa, uh, you care to say a few uh, more words about the, the access uh, issue? Yes, uh, yeah, it's actually a very critical uh, point, and I think it's not um, just in South Africa. I think one of the members uh, said um, it's all over the world. I think uh, it has a tremendous impact on education transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, and you mentioned of, of students that have and don't have. Um, in my view, I think with, with this uh, pandemic, I, I, my question in my mind is, will the gap between the advantage and the dis- disadvantage people in South Africa I think we lost you, Tian. Yeah, I'm here. Is everyone else still on? Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. Not sh- not sure what happened, um, but I think I think we lost Tian. Uh, but um, the point I, th- I think is uh, that he had started was around the same uh, point that I had around um, uh, access, which is that. It, we, what, where we currently are is that there are students who will have access to uh, computers and even Wi-Fi. Uh, the, the areas that I, particularly the one that I just mentioned, um, my experience in Limpopo in South Africa is very rural. And it's, it's a privilege just to even get cell signal in, in some of those places. So, um, Oh, never mind getting um, internet. Um, that that's something that uh, that is uh, definitely a privilege. I don't know. Is that Tian? Did you rejoin us there? Okay. Um, but what yeah, I was going to say. The, the line, oh. uh, okay. Go ahead, Tian. Oh. Yes. Yes. Sorry, we got cut off uh, there. So I'm not sure where you uh, heard up, but I think that the biggest impact is on uh, education transformation. And the question that I've asked is, my concern is the, the gap, um, will it be wider uh, between the advantage and the disadvantage in South Africa? Um, I think that it's a, that's a concern for government and I think also for tertiary institutions in South Africa, but they've been addressing it very well. Um, uh, in my view, uh, to this point in time, um, but it, it stays a challenge, and I'm not sure if it's going to be resolved and what the impact now is with the, the lockdown for 21 days. Yes, thank you. Um, so I, I think I, I want to thank all of you again. Uh, I made the decision to go over a little bit. We it's now uh, 40 minutes after the hour. Uh, versus 30 minutes, and I, I appreciate you hanging in there with me. Uh, as I mentioned, it was the 30 minutes goes really quickly, 
um, but I made the decision to carry over a little bit. Um, our l- listeners certainly appreciate hearing this firsthand, and I want to thank you again for just sharing your experiences with us. Um, for the listeners out there, I appreciate you joining in um, today, and uh, there are two other shows in this series. Um, if this is still going on, uh, we'll probably uh, invite you back in a week or two um, to, to get updates on where you are and what you're doing. Um, but uh, in the meantime, we wish all of you the best as you attempt to educate the young people and their families. Until next time, go well, stay well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.